for Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, children seem to be less affected by COVID-19 than adults, but doctors have noticed a new inflammatory condition in kids, possibly linked to the coronavirus. Because of this inflammation and this swelling, so to speak, of the blood vessels, the various organs that are supplied by them uh, don't work as well. Dr. Andy Shane, Medical Director of Infectious Diseases at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, joins me for more on this multi-system inflammatory condition showing up in children exposed to the coronavirus and what the pandemic is doing to childhood vaccination rates. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Earlier this month, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released a health advisory to doctors all over the country telling them to be on the lookout for a particular way the coronavirus seems to be affecting children. The agency had received several reports of what it's calling multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children associated with the coronavirus. Last week, state health officials said they'd confirmed nine cases in children in Georgia as they investigate more. It's a new way this pandemic seems to be affecting kids. Another mounting problem? a decline in childhood vaccination rates. Here to discuss is Dr. Andy Shane. She's medical director of infectious diseases at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Dr. Shane, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. We are here to talk about this condition now that health officials and and doctors are seeing in children affected by the coronavirus. They're calling it MISC, Miss C. We don't know a lot, but to start us out, can you tell me what we actually do know about this condition so far? Sure. So MISC, and it's been known as a number of different um, names as people have learned more about some of the manifestations, stands for multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And usually children have fever, they have some um, laboratory evidence that they have inflammation. Many of them have um, severe illness requiring hospitalization. 
and then uh, what we call multi-system organ involvement, which means that more than one system, oftentimes the uh, digestive system, um, have also been involved. And these are children in whom there's no other diagnosis for this particular syndrome. The other um, criteria that are required is either currently having a positive test for um, a SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19 infection, or having a blood test that shows that the child has had a SARS-CoV-2 infection in the past. Or finally, the third criteria is um, having had exposure to somebody um, with uh, COVID-19 in the four weeks before the child's symptoms began. At this point, I know we just have a handful of patients in in the state. Uh, the Department of Public Health said last week, I think nine or so. Have you seen any, any of these patients yourself? And, and if so, what has your experience been? So we have cared for patients who have um, Miss C at Children's. The good news is that all of the children who we have taken care of have done very well. The mainstay of treatment is supportive care, fluid hydration. Um, some children have required some oxygen supplementation, a uh, treatment called intravenous immunoglobulin or IVIG which is basically concentrated antibodies, has been given to some children. And then in some cases as well, some children have received uh, steroid treatments, which help to uh, decrease and suppress uh, the inflammatory response that many of these children are having. One of the interesting things is that many of the children have had a lot of digestive symptoms or abdominal pain, um, which is um, a little bit unusual and hasn't always been seen in the past um, with a sort of a cousin condition that's related to this a little bit called uh, Kawasaki disease. This condition is being compared to, to Kawasaki disease. Tell me a little bit about that condition. I mean, is that something that we have seen associated with a kind of viral infection like we're seeing with this condition and the coronavirus? The presentation of children with uh, Miss C has been compared to Kawasaki disease, mostly because of the elevated inflammatory markers that I mentioned. Uh, Many of these children are not very comfortable. They've been having high fevers. The other thing that we've noticed is a lot of them have had edema, which is the collection of fluid, especially around the eyes. What is a difference is that at least so far, what we've seen with most of the children, at least that we've taken care of, there have not been any um, coronary abnormalities or vascular abnormalities that have lasted beyond the actual time that the child has been ill. Uh, sometimes with children who have Kawasaki disease, they continue to have that inflammation in the um, vessels in their heart beyond the time that they actually have the um, febrile episode and the time that they're in the hospital. With children with Miss C, we haven't really seen this inflammation of the blood vessels lasting beyond the time that they're in the hospital. Just to boil this down even more, I mean, walk me through specifically kind of what this does to the body. I I just want to be really clear for our listeners kind of what this is doing to children. 
what we're thinking is really that this, because of this multi-system inflammation, which is basically when the lining of the blood vessels becomes larger, that creates uh, challenges both for the blood that needs to flow, so the blood doesn't flow properly. The um, vessels, by being enlarged, create problems when they are adjacent to other parts of the body, nerves and other things that we need to function. And so because of this inflammation and this swelling, so to speak, of the blood vessels, the various organs that are supplied by them uh, don't work as well. And that's one thought about the abdominal pain that perhaps the, the blood vessels that supply the stomach and the intestines um, become very inflamed. And that results in blood that doesn't flow as well to the organs and uh, potentially then uh, pain uh, to the children that are experiencing um, this inflammation. There was this assumption early on, and I think this is still kind of what medical science thinks, is that at least with presentations of COVID-19, children are less affected by the coronavirus than adults. Is it surprising to you that we're now seeing that this virus seems to have this other effect on children's bodies? We always um, are not able to um, predict what an infection is going to do. A lot of times it is the actual infection itself. And then um, what we end up finding out is that there may be some post-infectious complications. So we've certainly seen that with other um, infections and, and illnesses. I think from the beginning, people thought that this was a little bit unusual for um, a virus that would affect children just by the fact that older children were more likely uh, to be infected. And so people began pretty early on trying to understand why infants and younger children seem to be relatively spared uh, to contrast, for example, to something like influenza, where younger children are much more likely to have more severe disease. What would you advise parents to be on the lookout for thinking about, you know, some of the potential warning signs of this inflammatory condition? One of the things is that um, as pediatricians, we always say that parents know their children the best. And when children are acting or behaving in a way that is not normal, that is something that usually should uh, be of concern. Specifically with MISC, the one um, aspect is that many of these children do not look well. Many of them have high fevers that persist uh, for four to five days. Um, they complain of abdominal pain. They may not want to eat. And so both for MISC and also for any condition, honestly, if a child is continuing to have high fevers, does not want to eat or drink, and is not acting themselves, that is usually something that should prompt a parent to bring their child to the pediatrician or to call for medical advice. Just to be very clear, though, I mean, this is a condition where kids either have had the coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, or they've been exposed to people who have, right? So this is something that really only people who have been sick with COVID-19 or maybe had a family member living in a household with a child who was sick, this is really only something they need to watch out for, correct? Yes, that's true. Um, certainly, we've had situations where um, there may not have been a direct known exposure to somebody with COVID-19, but then when one asks more questions, we do find out that there has been an exposure. But yes, for the most part, uh, most children, when we've talked to parents and or the child themselves, 
adults have had some sort of symptom that may, may have been minor, it may have been just a cold or congestion in the three or four weeks before they actually develop the MISC um, symptoms, or yes, they have had a household contact or been in a situation where it's possible that they um, may have had a exposure. We're kind of switching gears here a little bit, but I, I did want to get your thoughts on this. What the CDC is is seeing is fewer people bringing their children in to get their regular vaccines because there's a pandemic on (laughs) and people are maybe less willing just to bring their children in for regular preventative care. Is that something that that y'all have seen at Children's, this kind of decline in people coming in for regular vaccines? Yes, like other pediatric healthcare systems around the country, we've seen a decline in the number of routine uh, visits for subspecialty care, um, so where a child needs care for a specific condition. It's not unusual to expect this to happen, especially since there have been the emphasis on physical distancing. Also, um, people, many people may not want to bring their child to a situation, to a healthcare situation where there may be other ill children. And so that has also uh, resulted in um, the lack of immunizations. Many uh, pediatricians um, have instituted telehealth visits. The challenge, however, is it's impossible to give a vaccine over a video connection. And so it's been impossible for them to actually receive their immunizations. And of course, when we don't immunize on time, um, that's when we see outbreaks of uh, vaccine preventable infections. So we're going to have a lot of work to do um, after the pandemic and as we uh, begin to adjust back to normal life and making sure that many children who miss their immunizations have opportunities to receive those vaccinations. Are these vaccines something that you can catch up on? Absolutely. Um, And there is a catch-up schedule that has been developed by the CDC and the ACIP that provides recommendations to the CDC uh, for children who have missed immunizations. With many vaccines, there is what we call a window, and that means a period of time in which it's ideal to receive immunizations. For many of them, um, there really is no time limit, and so um, a child can receive those vaccinations after the age that they would be eligible to receive them. Um, and so that is really important that that occur. If we've already seen this decline in vaccinations and we're only a few months into this pandemic, what is your prediction for kind of how this trend that we're already seeing might actually move if this pandemic continues this way? I think that um, the unpredictability um, is really sort of an impetus to make sure that people uh, do what they can when uh, when they can. And so, for example, getting immunizations, getting care, um, and there are very safe ways to do that in, uh, in healthcare systems. There is some concern that with the upcoming influenza season, that if in fact uh, we do have a surge in coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, that having those two infections co-circulating could create uh, some challenges, especially if uh, there is not immunity uh, in the community, either from natural infection or if we don't have a vaccine available. Uh, we will probably get a little bit of an idea about what uh, will happen, uh, because right now the Southern Hemisphere is entering their seasonal influenza season. So we should have 
a little bit of an idea about what we're going to see in the Northern Hemisphere uh, based on what occurs in the next couple of months in the Southern Hemisphere. But my main message uh, to parents and others would be that we don't know what's going to happen. And so therefore, it's important to make sure that your child or children uh, receive their immunizations so that they can be optimally protected when uh, when we do have uh, seasonal influenza and other um, uh, viruses circulating. And I will say we have we do have a vaccine for seasonal influenza. And so children should absolutely receive that when it's available. What do you make of, of the fact that we have this new coronavirus that is maybe not affecting children in, in the same ways that we think of other viruses really affecting them, children being vulnerable, say, to influenza? Does it draw people's attention away from maybe where, where it should be in thinking about how were children affected by this? I'm, I'm just kind of curious if, if you've thought about this at all. So I have thought about it quite a lot. In the early stages, many people felt that this was a quote unquote cold virus in children because it is related to other coronaviruses, which children uh, are infected with very uh, frequently as young children. And the same was sort of felt about, um, about SARS-CoV-2. And for, for the most part, that really is true. What has brought people's attention back to the virus and potentially the impact in children has been this, uh, this missy post-infectious, uh, uh, syndrome that is now being described. And so for, you know, an otherwise healthy child who has a, uh, COVID-19 infection, it is really either probably not even recognized or very mild symptoms. Um, I think that many people were focused on uh, adults and especially older adults who were being very much affected by this infection and uh, not so much on children. However, um, recognition of this post-inflammatory MIS-C um, syndrome has really brought the focus back to children and also the missed opportunities for immunizations and vaccinations there's oftentimes the with a the pandemic, there's the immediate effects and then there's the longer term community effects. Dr. Andy Shane is medical director of infectious diseases at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us with questions, comments or controversy at Wash your hands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary, but when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate and thanks.